0: Welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. But wait, there's more. We have a special guest co-host this week coming to us all the way from the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. It's Walt. Hi. How are you, Walter?
1: I'm great. I'm really excited to have won the uh, DC3 Fuck-A-Fan contest. So
0: <laughs> Let's we, get going. We should stop right now. <laughs> <laughs> get better than that. <laughs> How long were you sitting on that joke? <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, pretty much since this was uh, a thing.
0: <laughs> oh jeez. Honestly, folks, yeah. turn off I think the show. Have right, we apply now. your logic
2: show right now
0: <laughs> <laughs> they turn off the show guys you're not gonna get any better than that oh fuck me <laughs> yeah that was the contest those
1: were the terms
0: oh. i can't believe anyway how applicants we got for that contest uh,
2: anyway. <laughs> zach you're awfully quiet how do you feel about
3: <laughs>
0: i mean i'm down <laughs> uh. All right. Well, anyway, thank you for joining us tonight, Walt. Of course. Uh, we have Walt on the show because he is the Internet's number one Tom King fan. And so yeah. um, we'll be... we will
2: be. wanted a different perspective. We're tired of getting yelled at for talking bad about Tom King on here.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So um, we'll, ha- we'll be talking about that in just a minute. But first up this week, we have Detective Comics number 999, the Herman Cain edition written by peter that Tom- joke never gets uh, old nope no it doesn't uh written by peter tomasi illustrated by doug monkey um zach you were shall we say hyperbolic in your praise of Nine Nine Eight. i was accurate that sounds, that
1: sounds pretty accusatory brian <laughs> no, no no no
3: i'm just I'm, i've uh... never once resorted to hyperbole for anything ever <laughs>
0: uh, so let's let you start, Zach. What did you think of this finale to the first Tomasi Monkey tech arc?
3: Well, you know, I'm starting to notice a trend in, in these DC comics that maybe Batman isn't that great. Like, maybe he's not a very good guy. Nah. <laughs> you maybe know, he's someone that we shouldn't look up to.
2: When you're a kid, you idolize Batman. But when you get older, you realize that the Joker's the only one that makes any sense. Mm. Yeah, was, I thought
1: like that was like the only thing lacking from this is some sort of realization about hmm perhaps the Joker character. Some
0: sort of Joker <laughs> moral relativ- relativism? Yeah. yeah. Guys, the jokes on us.
3: <laughs> no, Zach, really. Um, the issue. I thought it was par, maybe subpar. I oh. So you know I what I really liked about the last issue was just how weird it was and this issue was not weird it was just not great um I thought that the the payoff of the like kid bruce in a bat suit was not the the fact that it's just well we we called it this was all some kind of like weird simulation thing um don't worry Leslie's not dead. Neither is Ducard or any of those other people. Um, none of this.
0: Thank God, the Miracle Man. No one cares, about, is still alive. Oh man! Well, oh yeah! You know,
3: they had to keep him alive for Miracle, Mr. Miracle number two. The miracle Man, Mr. Miracle. I'm sorry. What the fuck is did wrong did you me? say Miracle Man? I did say Miracle Man? That's how little like well, I, care about I was character. gonna go with it. I, I think I almost went with it. <laughs> um, um, yeah, you know, Mr. Miracle, Electric Boogaloo. Um, he'll be in that
2: The tangy zip of miracle man
3: yeah (laughs) um no i didn't i didn't care for this (laughs) uh what did you think
1: um so you and i brian spoke about this a little bit beforehand i don't know if we're allowed to like give that peek behind the curtain here on the dc3 but uh
3: well usually we never talk to each other ever so
1: okay um So first of all, Brian, I don't like you. I don't respect you. And I will not talk to you outside of this Okay. then. Um, Second of all, um, I feel like I I was mainly enjoying kind of like Zach uh, up until now. I was just kind of like enjoying how like what the hell is going on. It was, but I, I definitely agree. It didn't really stick the landing. It wasn't really weird enough. And especially like with how this kind of all wrapped up. I felt that this was what could have and what should have been a two-parter stretched across like more issues than it needed to be. And, you know, basically padding out the story and able to get it to a nice round number 1000, you know, for the next issue. Um, Like I, especially with, you know, the realization of like, okay, you know, Leslie's still alive you know Alfred isn't injured so on and so forth like that sort of thing especially in what is essentially and I don't use this word in a derogatory manner but a filler story um, that sort of like fake out is better reserved for a shorter story like that whereas this, it just kind of felt like okay if this if what we got in this issue was what, you know, the big reveal and everything, why didn't we just have that earlier? It it didn't... It feels like everything else that came before this was just filling in space.
2: Yeah, very much like... Oh, and I know it was all part of the simulation, but like, oh, oh, Bruce accidentally went to the wrong place this time. You know, this isn't the real villain he's looking for. You know, right. we spent we spent a few issues with that sort of misdirection. Um, I'm, And sometimes the journey is good. Right. But but in a story like this, it really didn't. I yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying, Walt. Um, and I think that's that is a common complaint that we have for a lot of uh, story arcs i think especially lately i feel we've said similar things like to that on about other books um i think that's been our and we'll talk about this book later but that's been our problem with the 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 price crossover between uh, what crossover the the price um uh just like very similar like when you think about what the core point of these stories is, what, what it's trying to get to. Um, it's a simple did, message. Yeah, exactly. Did it really need to take these turns to get there? And yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally agree.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, as I was thinking about this uh, earlier this week after I read the issue, I was thinking about sort of our initial feelings about the Leslie Tompkins, you know, fake-out death and how we sort of thought it wasn't legit, but it was being presented as if it was legit. And I feel like the the telltale sign that it wasn't is that the DC marketing machine never mentioned it. Like, mm-hmm. usually whenever the slightest thing happens, a DC tweet will go out, like, you know...
2: A CBR exclusive. Yeah, you know? exactly. But a yeah. <laughs>
0: CBR exclusive that Leslie Tompkins might actually be dead. And th- there was none of that whatsoever. And I feel like if you're going to try and rope-a-dope the audience into figure into believing something, then you have to sort of put a little bit of effort behind it or else it's just so clearly not... Hap- that it's so clearly not really happening. And so, when you take that sort of laissez-faire attitude towards p- publicizing what happens in the issues, mix that with the incredibly decompressed, stretched-out story... End the reveal that doesn't really teach us anything new about Bruce. Like I, I think this was supposed to be like, oh my god! Every year on Bruce's birthday, he does this thing, but it really <laughs> doesn't tell you anything new about Bruce. It's just a right. it's just a slightly different way of presenting the same information. Taken all that together, this does feel like an incredibly filler arc.
2: Yeah, yeah. And considering there's a birthday twist, I was right a few episodes back when I said that this is just
1: basically Michael Douglas in the game.
0: Yes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I did listen to that one. I mean, I mean, I listened to all of them, but I do remember you saying <laughs> that. Um, and, and and so the, and it like ends in this like weird situation where all of my complaints really have to do with the arc as a whole. This issue, in a vacuum, is good. Like I really yeah, couldn't. It's fine. I I okay yeah fine fine, is a good, is a better descriptor. As, but, like, I don't have that much problem with the issue itself. Um, you know, I like the, like, fights of between the two Bruce's, particularly when, like, you know, they get to the point of, you know, talking about that first uh, night when he went out. Um, I liked the epilogue with Leslie, but it's it's more everything that came before and the like realization reading this issue of like oh everything that came before this was just kind of nothing. It's it's more of like a macro problem than this specific issue. For me,
0: I think that's fair.
3: <clears throat> to put everything in perspective, though, I I still think this was better than the the arc of action that left led up to action one thousand.
0: Which was that action art? I'm trying to think which Jurgens uh, art that was.
3: I honestly, I'm looking at nine nine nine, and it has, Will, it has well, it has <laughs> it has Will Conrad art, and it has something to do with Sam Lane. Okay, it sounds about right. So,
0: I think my point stands. Uh huh. Sure. Sure. Um, any other closing thoughts on this? I thought that. Doug Monkey's art was fine in this. It wasn't the best monkey. but I think this issue looked better than was it two issues ago we we all kind of said he looked a little maybe rushed or sloppy. There was one issue in this arc I feel like was definitely worse than the others, but this seems to be closer to the monkey we know and love.
1: yeah, this seemed pretty like standard fair manka. Um, nothing really stuck it. you know there were a lot of parts that looked great some parts that you know just kind of passed over me but i don't there wasn't really anything that kind of that didn't sit well with me um he you know he's, he's a different choice for batman in that um he, he's got like he, he doesn't have like the kind of like street level feel for the most part but i think he like gets certain things that work um particularly in that like Double page spread right towards the beginning of Bruce getting decked by his child self. <laughs> um, he kind of gets the uh, macabre, grotesque kind of area that Batman sometimes straddles into pretty well. Um, and, and yeah, I thought he was—I thought he was solid on this issue. Not great, but solid.
2: Yeah, he would have. <clears throat> Monkey would have fit in really well in the there was a point in the 70s where they were trying to make batman very spooky yeah Every, everything he was like all the conflicts he was running into were they were like uh, werewolves uh and- haunted houses and yeah werewolves and shit um he would have done really well in that era i i think it's a perfectly um legitimate artist for batman if yeah. not one that modern batman tends to
1: have you know yeah i mean he did the uh the man who laughs that brubaker um joker origin retelling thing and he's great in that so Mm -hmm. i was too scared to read it
0: (laughs) 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 oh boy yeah well um here's the main event folks heroes in crisis number six
1: Oh, you guys really do do the alphabetical order thing.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, isn't it great? <laughs> Zach and I—it's I... in, in, in someone's contract. Yeah, say, Zach and I are a little <laughs> bit more flexible with it, but certain people, you know, have their ways. Sure. Uh, anyway, it is written by Thomas King, illustrated in a very special issue by Mitch Garretts, uh, with sort of the opening framing and closing framing device done by Clay Mann. Um so walt yes you are the tom king boy on the internet um why don't you start us off with your overall thoughts of this issue
1: so starting with the good i mean first of all the obvious thing to say is mitch grad's fantastic um no doubt about that um the maybe not as good as like his work on Mister Miracle. Uh, maybe a few more shortcuts in some of the stuff with like Barry and Wally, um, not being as detailed. But for the most part, he does. He's great. Yeah, um, he's
3: as good once as he ever was.
1: Exactly. Exact. exact. <laughs> um, and I would say that the stuff in this issue with Wally is some of the strongest possibly possibly the strongest well the stuff with the wall is definitely the strongest stuff in this issue possibly in heroes in crisis as a a whole you know it's an interesting interesting idea you know ever since we've been doing the whole story-based retcon thing of like history changing for specific reasons because so-and-so like punched the universe or whatever. you was you, pretty much since we've been doing that, you've had the whole trope as well of like, oh, I, I remember things happening differently. Why is that? And I remember the, you. Why don't you remember me? And so with Wally, it's kind of more personal of him like remembering his family who aren't there anymore and everything. And I think that King takes that pretty seriously. It, it's the most compelling stuff that's been in this book so far, I would think. Now, I haven't read the previous issues for a bit, so maybe there's something from them I'm forgetting, but those bits of this, I was, you know, maybe not extremely touched, but I was like, this is, this is good. Everything else sucked terribly. <laughs> um, yeah, but that was good.
0: I, uh... I have lots of thoughts on the Wally stuff, but I just want to say, so I, uh... When I opened up this PDF <laughs> to read it, like, the first story page is, like, I guess after the confessional stuff, is a joke that Zach or Vince would have made to me. Like, the first full page is going to be Narc with his dong out reciting poetry. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking absurd. It is a terrible, terrible use of that okay. character.
1: Mm.
3: It's so dumb
1: It's
0: it's because
3: a terrible use he of can speak speech. poetry in, a, in a, a modern syntax or a, a not prehistoric syntax. But he can't he, – he has to talk like a caveman
0: otherwise. <laughs> do you guys remember the character that John Lovitz used to do on SNL called Annoying Man? I, I feel like Vince <laughs> Yellen wants to yes. know this. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He would talk like this. Ever. And at the end of everything, he would say like, you don't have to yell. Like you would have a normal voice <laughs> for the very end of it, and that's essentially yeah. what Narc is.
2: Man, SNL's always been bad, hasn't it? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Annoying Gosh.
0: Man is a great character. <laughs> I will stand by Annoying Man, um, but no, <clears> that <throat> first page is just it. Even if the next like nineteen pages were great, it's just <laughs> such a terrible note to start the issue out on.
1: Yeah, it's a very like. Oh boy. Yeah, here we go.
0: I believe I said to all three I, of you, I rolled my eyes so hard I could see my brain. And it was when, not great.
2: When I when I read the five words, the five magic words in this issue, "Make Narc think of Keats," <laughs> I might <my sort> of <laughs> come out of my body and left me a, a dead husk on my living room floor. Um, it made
1: it made me like Keats less.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's just like like if if I if I were able to give Tom credit uh, Tom King any credit at all, I but could on say a first like, name basis. <laughs> <laughs> I I I could maybe say, like, okay, this has got to be a joke on how Tom King writes, right? Like we always joke about how he has to shove these literary references in. And then an entire page of narc reciting Keats, like that's gotta be a joke, right? This is the weirdest poem, right? Of, uh... And yet, I don't think so, right? Like, I don't like. I think he's serious, you guys. <laughs> I mean, I know it's supposed to be funny that Narc does read poetry and recites it. Like, it's supposed to be um, funny and slightly charming, and it's supposed to make him seem like there's more to him than meets the eye historically. But I, I don't think it's like an in joke that hey, look, it's, just, Tom, it's Tom King doing Tom Kingy stuff, right? You know,
1: <laughs> Oh brother. And and yeah. it's also it's also this um, even more egregious than this one page in this regard is you have this and you have the Harley and um, Ivy page where it's just a full page spread and just bubbles upon bubbles of text and it's. Like it what it made me think of, especially the there's this interchange later on between Harley and I- Ivy, just you know, the whole thing of like really long text uh, It didn't help. I'm allureance.
0: sorry, Har. It's not your fault. I'm still sorry. Please yeah. I'm not bored. Yeah. Yay. There were lots of bad things. Please, I
1: know, huh? please, I I read it once.
0: <laughs>
1: You're hurting me, Brian. Yeah. <clears throat> um but like it, it made me think of there's a there's a much derided page from Bendis's <laughs> avengers run i think this was during the heroic age stuff um illustrated by daniel cunha and it's um jessica jones and luke cage they're like out for dinner and they're like it's like th- them talking about oh you should be like you know power woman you know because i'm power man and it's it's the typical bendis like back and forth and it's it's like that harley and ivy page where it's like all the balloons run together and everything and a lot of people mock that for it's like oh you know just reaching self-parody level. It never bothered me that much because it's like, you know, a lighthearted kind of thing. This is supposed to be a serious book. That page is supposed to be serious. And it just, it's so like, such a feeling of, oh, I'm, like, it wouldn't bother me so much if Tom King was also illustrating this. But he's writing it and he's, you know, like, here, you draw something pretty, but, like, I get to take up all this space on the page, you mm-hmm. know? And so you have both this thing with NARC and the one with uh, Harley and Ivy later on that's just such a waste of time and space.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is him doing a doing a big jack-off motion. And, yep. and he and he, know, he knows that he's doing it. Like, he knows... What's and I and I sent you guys this this page from Powers from Bendis's Powers uh, in the chat because th- this is what I thought you were going to reference, Walt. Because there's there's like a joke on the internet uh, for people who don't like Bendis's dialogue that they post this page because it's it's like fifty percent art and fifty percent word balloon, you know? Right. Um, and like I understand there's a there's a time and place for. Stylistic dialogue in a comic book, but but what you said just rings so true. About j- hey, just draw a picture of uh, of Harley and Ivy holding hands or whatever, and I'm gonna fill. I'm gonna do the rest here. And back back in the uh, 50th issue of Tom King's Batman run, there were a bunch of uh, pinups by tons of different Batman artists over the years doing. Uh, Bruce and Selena pages and over everyone, it was just, they were like pinups and over everyone was like Tom King narration. And I felt like that was, that was less intrusive. Um, he, He let the art speak for itself a little more, but it seems to be a thing that he likes to do. And I, you know, I guess it's an aesthetic thing that, some people don't mind or even enjoy, but it's never going to be why I read comic books, you know? Right. Part of me almost is me
3: maybe giving him too much credit, Um, but I only, I thought of this because as I was reading it, like I would get about halfway through and then I would have to like start tracing the balloons back to see who was saying what, and I thought I thought, you know, like how how like i can't tell who's saying what i have to keep checking and so i was like well if he's trying to be smart maybe he's making this is a comment on the it doesn't matter who's saying what the the speaker doesn't matter i don't know like but i don't think that's what he's trying to do but
2: and if you're thinking about it that hard, how well is it working? You know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. It's like what is what is what would this even mean if it if that was the case? Like <laughs> what's the point of this page? Um
2: well, sometimes Narc think Hobbs right. So yeah.
1: <laughs> And Brian, you said you had something else to say about the uh Wally?
0: Yes. So aspect. so this is where I try to separate sort of fan Brian versus I hate the term journalist, but journalist, Brian, right? Where Wally West is among my five favorite characters in the history of comics. And Mm -hmm. all I want is a good Wally comic. I want Wally to be important in the DC universe. I think that Wally is an essential part, yada, yada, yada. But I will say this, that King's take on this, that like everyone is happy to have Wally back and they feel that Wally completes everything, but Wally feels incomplete. That's a valid take on the character. And Mm -hmm. I think that if Wally turns out to be the murderer, which they're obviously setting us up to believe, but I think is still misdirection, uh, if they are setting that up, there's at least now a reason that you can point to in-story and say, here is how he was feeling, here is why he did this, whatever. I don't think that's necessarily a particularly good or particularly um, logical Reason for Wally to do what he did, if he is indeed the murderer, um, especially
1: when we're in issue six of nine, yes, and that's just now coming to light. Yes,
0: and perhaps. and also because because of how Wally was brought back in the Rebirth special, and how it was so important that he was that he was back, to just make that return a like a punchline for a Tom King event seems really mm. silly to me, and hopefully not true. Um but I, I'm just happy that there's at least some sort of internal logic to this now. Um do you guys agree with that or do you feel this is even more ridiculous?
2: Um no, I think that's a I think that's a really good point. I think it actually nicely mirrors um how Barry fucked everything up in flashpoint. You know, if you want to take it back that far, yeah. it's, no, kind of, good it's kind of, it's kind of a, fun, yeah, it's like a fun narrative comparison. Maybe not fun. Fun's the wrong. <laughs> <part. Yeah. laughs> uh. Interesting. Interesting comparison to how Barry's, uh, missing a member of his family or, 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 you know, reliving this tragedy, uh, drove him to screw everything up for everyone else, you know? um, I think this is a uh, kind of a more extreme, more realistic, less comic booky. I mean, if you if you consider that, like, there was a massacre that happened at Sanctuary, right? Whereas Flashpoint was like flipping a light switch, you know, and yeah, yeah, this whole entire universe went away, but it was repl- it was very comic bookily replaced with something else, right? Right. Um. So it's a little different in that regard. That's why I say it's probably not fun. Uh. <laughs> but but. I think that is a thematic link um to the way that comic books work that is valid so I think I think your point is true um yeah I just it's it's tough it's tough to 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 find the good when so much of it feels like uh pretentiously reaching for something you know um when 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 the when the real meat of of the conflict of the story as it exists as a dc comic book is right there you know like you you i think you guys have summed it up really well and we're just given all this other super superfluous bull i can never say that word right on this show uh we're given all this bullshit to wade through to get to those points you know yeah
1: yeah. Like, like, I wonder if this was like just a, I don't know, eight page, if, if you just excised everything from here that wasn't Wally, I think it would be a good short comic about him coming back and feeling with how this has affected him. I mean, I'm, I'm going kind of full circle here with what I was talking about at the beginning. But it, yeah, it, it's it's the only thing that so far that really feels earnest. Like, I know that one, of, one of, I'm probably misstating this a bit, but like a, a complaint that you guys have about King is how he doesn't, uh, he doesn't like think of the DC, universe as a universe it's a place for him to play with his toys tell his stories and move on and you know that's not inherently a bad thing but it just so happens that in his case it does lead to mostly bad stories um this stuff with wally it feels more like it's part of this weird continuum that is the dc universe sure um and dealing with the ramifications of a long-term story that predates king and that will go on beyond king so to speak yeah
2: yeah yep and everything else feels like that other stuff <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah i also wanted to, to uh, briefly comment on not so much the absurd silliness of narc's role in this but just the fact that narc is in this at all like, i find that the 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 further we get into this book, the less some of the inhabitants of Sanctuary make sense to me. And I feel like Narc is such a minor DC character, a character that hadn't been seen in like a decade or something before Dan Abnett brought him back in Titans Hunt. And then he kind of went away again after Titans Hunt and is just popping up here now. And it it just seems to me like... He's the classic, like, all right, we need a character that we can kill that means nothing, so let's bring Nark into it. But if you're gonna do that, then I don't understand why you need to spend a third of an issue showing how deep he is. Like, doesn't that doesn't that defeat the purpose of having an easy to kill character by like giving <clears> him depth at the last minute? Isn't that the cheesiest red shirt move of all time? That like, as they're walking to their death, you find out that they're a day away from retirement and they have kids and all of that. It just seems. It just seems really, really lazy to me in a way that, like, I don't like a lot of King writing, but I don't think King is lazy all that often in his writing. And this feels particularly lazy to me.
2: Yeah. I I think this. Go ahead, Zach.
3: Well, I was just going to say, like, I feel like that's the case with most of these characters that are used as kind of like the cannon fodder for this series. You know, the ones that we keep getting these um, little, you know, interstitial. Interviews with like
0: tattooed man, yeah, Jesus,
3: and... hot spot, kid devil, like none of these. I guess maybe the closest one that he like the best that I feel like he's maybe done with is Lagoon Boy and one of the earlier issues. Um, but even then, like, yeah, it's just strange. And you know, I'm gl- you mentioned the Abnett Titans Hunt. Like, this continues to double down on King's like. Targeting the abnet Titan stuff heavily.
0: Yeah, he hates. Um, he it's hates weird. <laughs> Classic Teen Titans very very much.
2: <clears throat> <clears throat> can I talk about one one panel that I really liked, but for a very silly reason? Sure. <laughs> sure. Um,
0: Give us the page. And let's see if we can guess it first.
2: Well, it'll be. Okay, oh, I just now I now I got to scroll. <laughs> Um, I, I'm just going to talk about it. It's, it's when you see the, uh, Titans team all lined up, I'm going to send you the picture and the,
0: when you see them not, all lined it's not, up, it's not work to get a screen grab, but it's work to, uh, scroll.
2: I already had that. I already had that ready okay. asshole because I'm a, I'm a prepared podcaster. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but it's, it's all the Titans are, are sort of laid across the panel. Uh, in a straight line, and then behind them is this sort of uh, empty mountainous uh, battlefield with a with a storm behind it. Mm-hmm. That that page to me looks so much like the old Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, where oh, yeah. <laughs> where they would all line, they would all be lined up, and then the background behind them would look like fake, like it was just some fake mountainous thing. <laughs> and then they then they would charge into battle at the Putty Fighters or whatever. Um that's my silly reference that i wanted to make so that's all i yeah. got
3: all, all of the wally pages look really good i think the i like that page i like the overhead shot page of him in the like sanctuary garb
1: um mm, yeah um and, yeah, and his, like, the dorm the sequence with him like you know hugging everybody
3: yes yeah,
1: yeah. very good use of Negative space, as we say in the biz.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn, you, you sound so smart, Walt. We should have you on the show more often.
1: Thank you. I'm not I'm not um, reading every DC comic a week. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you guys? <laughs>
3: um, I excuse me, I don't do that.
2: As <laughs> yeah, the mercenary, um, <laughs> I've the fucking to fucking silencer this week,
0: guys.
3: You are a crazy person. Um, <laughs> One quick note, because I feel like we're kind of winding down on this book. Um, What do you guys think about, um, so in a previous issue, we saw Wally seemingly dying by having his brain smashed in by Harley's hammer, but here we see him getting just murked by Booster. Um, What do you think about that? That's really interesting.
2: Well, that goes back to the very first issue where Harley and Booster both claim that they saw one another kill these these heroes. And didn't didn't
0: yeah. that lead us to think that this is basically the same thing as Death of Comics Herman Kane, where it's just gonna be more of a simulation?
2: Well it's gonna be it's not going to be like a virtual reality simulation, I don't think, but there's gonna there's some there's some shit going on because don't forget, like keep in the back of your mind this idea that the body that they found of Wally in the last issue is what five days older or younger than than it should have been, or something like that? Right. I mean, there's there's some dickery going on here, but I don't know that it's sh- straight up VR. It's not like what Batman was doing, I don't right.
0: think. But right. but a similar, sure
2: some some comic booky
1: shit.
0: Yeah. Somebody told Speed me Speed
1: Force time yeah. travel shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> S-
0: somebody had told me um that they had heard something that Dio said like to a fan at a convention, like not on a panel, like just talking to a fan where he said that only one character is actually dead. Mm, and, interesting. And if that's the case, then I feel like that just uh, confirms all of our worst thoughts about this book. <laughs> that it's just going to be a, a lazy retcon at the end of it.
2: Well, that is what I
0: want. <laughs> I mean, it's what I want, but it's also... It, it's, it's, again, it's what, it's what the fan in me wants. It's not necessarily what I think the... The journalist in me wants.
2: I want to forget this ever happened. I mean, that's. <laughs> yeah. So, who's the who's the really dead person? Roy?
0: Unfortunately, I think it is going to be Roy, and that bums me out.
2: Connor Hawk comes back,
1: baby. Oh, man. It just happened on <laughs> I'd Arrow. be here for that.
0: Arrow just introduced Connor Hawk.
1: There you go. Arrow's D- still yeah. going? <laughs> I'm not watching it
0: anymore, but it is still going, yes. <laughs> um Yeah. yeah. This is uh, This continues to be... Uh, the nicest thing I can say about Heroes in Crisis is that it's been relatively on time. It hasn't been as delayed <laughs> as so many other event books have been. So, alright. Let's let's uh, let's shoot on over to Martian Manhunter, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated magnificently by Riley Rosmo. Vince, start us off with this. What did you think of this? Oh, boy.
2: Edition? Um, I loved it. (laughs) I love Steve Orlando's writing. It's, it's funny. Um, if you, uh, read the bullshit, idiotic comments, uh, on comic book websites and social media, people are very torn on Steve Orlando and I don't really get, like, I understand if he's not your cup of tea, but I don't understand, like, there are some people who just intensely bounce off of this stuff. But to me, like, this issue is the perfect... Steve Orlando comic in that he takes this uh, very comic booky sort of opportunity to retcon a character because we were talking about how the origin of John Jones versus uh, Martian Manhunter John Jones right and like it, in in this story now John Jones was always a was a real person before Martian Manhunter ever met him you know. Which is a that's a story that's been told before, but it's not something that has constantly been a part of Martian Manhunter's origin, you know? Right. So it's like Orlando's opportunity to to sew that up for modern continuity or whatever. And I think he a lot of writers just do that and they do it very um matter of factly, right? Like, hey, this is just this is just how it is, you know. But Orlando, like navigates it so sensitively and gives you a reason for for why you know the the real john jones is dead he he makes martian manhunter into a three-dimensional character by saying like he inhabited john jones's body it's really not what he was supposed to do um and then he took it beyond his 10-day period or whatever that he was supposed to inhabit this body per Martian tradition or whatever. And then, and then he discovered a purpose for staying in this body that was actually altruistic. You know what I mean? So like it navigates this very three dimensional reason for establishing continuity in this way that I feel like most writers who aren't Steve Orlando don't put that much emotion and thought and care into, you know what I mean? And that's the basis for this issues entirety i think um it's really the the major thing i have to say about the issue other than how gorgeous it all looked but like just constant heart that's that's what orlando seems to bring to everything and and it just connects with me on a level that i think some people miss
1: out on yeah i think that for for a lot of other writers you could see like the whole bringing back the real John Jones as like you know it's a little continuity trick about hey remember how sometimes he's a real guy sometimes he's not here he is you know this time he is again um, but yeah in, Orlando does it brings him back in this series as a way to not just like we get a little bit of a feel for John Jones but it, in particular bringing him back it. Helps us understand Jean's more. Um, it's it's not just a gimmick. it's there to add depth to this character that is often you know relegated to a you know more sideline character that we typically only really get in like the Justice League books or whatever. Um, so you know from from the outset of this series, you know, we're only, this is only the third issue, but we're still getting a, we're, we're getting a lot of, of feel for the character in a short amount of time. And what, you know, this is of course Orlando's interpretation and he's made some changes, but you, you can see what he feels makes Martian man under unique and what makes him a, you know, it, the worst thing that can happen to Martian Manhunter is that he's just a worse Superman. <laughs> right.
0: and, and you do see and that worse kind of character Batman and a worse leader right. of the Justice League than Wonder Woman. Like he's he's the he's sort of like a consistently just below the top tier character.
2: Exactly. He's the only good cop, though. That's true.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Definitely true. <laughs> um, um yeah i i love this i feel like orlando is like doing the definitive um martian manhunter story here um i i felt like there were some nice um calls to um new frontier yes um, so many yeah.
0: little hints that. It's great.
3: <laughs> yeah really good which i think you know maybe prior to this i i would say is like potentially kind of like the definitive Martian Manhunter kind of like origin because that, that was very centric on him. Um, but yeah, I I love this. And, and I, again, I kind of like touched on it when we had that issue of justice league a while back um, with him and Lex on how I feel like, the, and I, I don't feel like I really articulated it well there, but I think after reading this, what I was trying to get across is the idea that, this series really gets to the heart of the character and kind of focuses on things that are kind of integral and and just really speaks to the heart of the character, whereas the the stuff in Justice League kind of felt more like an extraneous retcon for sake of plot. Um, It didn't really feel... Integral to Martian Manhunter himself. It kind of just felt... Not that it did disservice to him. It just wasn't this.
0: Yeah, I... um, Just to get Walt up to speed. Walt, are you reading Justice League?
1: Uh, I'm quite a bit behind. As in, I've read the first arc.
0: Okay. Uh, There was an issue recently... That um, oh, do you care if I spoil it for you? Yeah, go right ahead. Where basically uh, there's this retcon that when John Jones was a Martian, John Jones was a like a young Martian. He was captured by scientists on Earth and studied here, and he met like a little boy who was the son of one of the scientists. And it turns out that little boy is Lex Luthor. And they both uh, had their, like, minds wiped of this of this thing. And, classic. Yeah, exactly. And when when we read that issue, Zach, I, I think you actually did a good job articulating that when we talked about that. But I remember, like, in, I don't know if I said this or if I kind of thought this, I felt like, well, nothing about that just yet invalidates anything that Orlando and Rossmo are doing. It maybe fits a little bit less snugly than I would like. But it seemed like it could still sort of be it within the realm of what we know as Martian Manhunter's origin, right? After this issue, where it is like blatantly said that John, when he was brought to Earth, like thousands of years past, or was it was hundreds of years past, like, you know, that there was a. Yeah, you're time, right. Like that, that now makes that Justice League story in direct conflict with this. And I know that I could be the continuity guy sometimes, and I try not to let that bog me down, but literally those two issues were released in the same month. And it just seems like it's really, really lazy on DC's part to not catch that. Or, like you said, Zach, I think that that's, that story is way more about Lex and about trying to give depth to Lex's character than it is to John's character. And so you know, you get this like beautiful origin of Detective John Jones and how Martian John Jones fits into that. And there's really no place now for that Justice League story. And that sort of pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can't I can't say it better than that. Yeah. I also think it's it's interesting that like the first issue of this series obviously was was really cool and was setting us up for this. It was sort of setting its own for the twelve issue series. But the first the second issue rather is the origin of John Jones, and this issue is the origin of John Jones. And I really like yeah. the way that's that's set up so far. And goddamn is Riley Rossmo great.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> He's just on another level. Um. Yeah.
2: My, my favorite Rossmo
1: scene in
2: this is the page. It's the page when um, John is kind of threatening Diane. Yeah. Um, because, and not only is it insanely creepy, but it shows a dark side. This is where, <laughs> well, you called him a worse Superman earlier. But, like, literally, this is, you know, oftentimes there are thematic links to Superman that you can make between Martian Manhunter and, uh, and Kal-El. But, you know, Superman would never take this approach, right? This right, is a absolutely. uniquely Martian Manhunter approach to solving a problem. And it doesn't make him a bad guy. It doesn't, you know, what he's doing is not good, but it's it's his way, it's his strange way of a means to an end, Right. And, uh, and it makes him a more complex character. And I love the way that that comes across in the art. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Rosmo does this thing that I don't think anybody else in comics is doing right now, which is that his work is... It, it, can, it can pivot on a dime from something really cartoony and really overly expressive and sort of not at all realistic into absolute terror terrifying gruesomeness like within the same page sometimes and neither one seems out of place or outside of his wheelhouse he just has this incredibly broad style that can encompass creepy realism super cartoony over the topness great action and really subtle character moments all under the same umbrella I don't know of a single artist working today that does that as fluidly as Rosmo does in the series.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Uh, Rosmo for best artist of 2019 or, or I quit.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, you know, you have that vote. And if you were using the handy document I made, you, 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 keep, you keep tracking of all this stuff. <laughs> Oops! <laughs> oh yeah, I'll get,
2: I'll get my Russian troll farms on it for you, <laughs> Zach.
0: <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, I keyed. I keyed. Uh, any other Martian Manhunter comments?
1: It's good.
0: It's very good.
1: I mean, I'm I'm not reading as many DC books as you guys are, but of like the main in-universe books of the ones that I'm reading three issues in this might be my favorite DC book currently going
3: yeah it's up it's, there uh, it's up there yeah
0: yeah it feels a little bit detached from all of that because it is sure set in the past you know it's a little bit different of a uh of a style of book but yes it is yeah it is good
1: yeah, I meant to contrast it with the likes of like the Wild Storm sure, or
0: something. Sure. Yes, the American the true America. best book that DC's is publishing. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 That it's a toss up for me between that and American Carnage right now. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I, should, I should I should have been on last week so I could talk about that, but.
0: Have you read American Carnage. <laughs> have well? Any time. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm reading both. Well. Uh, both of those. And they're both excellent. You would agree.
1: They're they're both fantastic. Yeah.
2: Well, you could be like the Kramer of our show, where if you wanted, you could just swing the door open while we're recording and slide right in, say something I, racist. I, I could get kicked out of the Laugh Factory. <laughs> uh, all
3: right, let's move on. Okay, if Walt is Kramer, okay. <laughs> let's see. Uh, um, I feel like I feel like Brian. I feel like Brian has to be Jerry. Vince has to be um George. yeah, Vince has to be George and I'm I'm Elaine.
2: You are Elaine.
3: Yeah.
0: Although, glad although I've seen you dance better than Elaine can dance. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh Newman. Micro Mio's Newman. Who's <laughs> Who's uh, <clears throat> I guess that makes Maddie putty, right? Yeah, she is, definitely. She loves Arby's. Um
2: feels like an Arby's night.
0: <laughs> Alright, let's let's talk about Shazam. Um, actually, you know what? Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a second with more DC three
3: casts. Hello, podcast listener. I'm Kevin. I'm Jess, and I'm Nick. And we are Make My Multiversity a monthly podcast
1: discussing all things Marvel Comics.
2: Each month, we will be discussing Marvel news and looking at some of their major recent comic book or movie releases.
1: We also look at older storylines, character histories, and Marvel's place in the overall comics market. We have a variety of perspectives. The recent Marvel fan,
0: the jaded longtime reader,
1: and the reader who's finally digging into Marvel's back catalog after a decade of avoidance. If You want to know what books made me cry this month? What books made me almost cry this month?
2: What books I wish would make me feel
3: something. Check out Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast. The fourth Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And Make Mine Marvel. Multiversity. Multiversity.
0: And we're back with Shazam number three, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by... We got three artists credited here. We got Dale Eaglesham. We got... um, I don't want to mess up the second name because that's what I do. Zach knows. Uh, Marco it, Santucci. It, uh, and, uh, uh, and Sen.
1: Ah, uh, Sen. Yeah. And that variant covered by Michael Cho, which is real fucking good. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Michael Cho does a lot of the art covers for the DC Gold, Silver, and Bronze Age on the buy. Yeah, those are so good. They're, they're absolutely great. Yeah,
2: they make me want them, even though they have dog shit comics.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: pretty much.
0: (laughs) This, uh, I feel like this specific cover makes Captain Marvel look older than he's looked in a long time. But I love that. I I love. Yeah, you know how mature he looks here.
1: Yeah, I I like Captain Marvel looking a little bit, you know, more like mid forties kind of look, late forties. Yeah, then. Yeah. yeah,
2: like yeah, like a nineteen forties uh, skinny fat actor, muscle man. Guy. He should be yeah.
0: played by Sal from Mad Men.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes,
0: yes! <laughs>
2: woo! Yeah, hang on, hang on.
0: Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, this is the Fuddlands issue um we get uh did you guys notice the coolest little weird easter egg in the very beginning of this issue
3: uh, i is it on the first page it's
0: on the double page spread
3: yeah um i didn't and i'm looking
2: now to see if i check a uh, pizza not pizza not drawn by brett
3: booth
0: no that is good too though not as stretchy though uh no what is darla's last name
2: Dudley,
0: yeah, Uncle Dudley, like a classic Shazam character. Oh,
3: that's that's right. right. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I was just thinking about all of the uh, all the alliteration.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was doing I was doing like a uh, Where's Waldo thing, like uh-huh. looking for the tail of the dog or something. No, like.
0: <laughs> I was doing the uh, the Brad Pitt from Burn After Reading dance when I noticed that. I was so happy <laughs> that uh, that we make Uncle Dudley. In this book, eventually, um, so uh, Walt, just to catch you up, we had talked in the past about how we um, we, we sort of enjoyed the first couple of issues, but we were afraid that it was going to be a very long time before we got out of these various like alternate universes, these ver- the, the worlds that are connected, you know, via these um, these train tracks. And just mm-hmm. sort of the feel of like it's going to take a long time for the story to kick in beyond this little bit. But now that we're three issues in, how are you feeling about about sort of this being the first arc of this book? Do you think this is a good way to establish the, the, the new status quo? Or are you uh, already ready to be done with this stuff?
1: Well, I know what you're talking about because I do listen to every episode of the DC3 <laughs> cast. Um, now I, I, I definitely see what you – mean and i that is a concern of mine too you know we're we just now at the end of this issue um kind of have them splitting up a bit we've got the game lands and the wild lands as well so i think by doing that we might be able to cover more ground so to speak um i'm feeling pretty good i you know my my concerns with it are more like fears not an actual execution so much so far everything has been good um there are some things like yeah mainly that the pacing and such that i can see not being what i want but it hasn't happened yet in a bad way so so far i'm still liking it a lot it's a really fun book it's a it's definitely something that it feels like DC has been missing um, both in terms of just having Captain Marvel back or Shazam, whatever. um, And in terms of like, you know, exploring the supernatural element of um, the DC universe without being like too doom and gloom, because, you know, as much as I, I've liked some of like, you know, the justice league dark comics or whatever, Um, Over the past few years, there is a tendency when doing the supernatural side of DC to focus on like the really bleak vertigo-esque area of it, which is great, but there's there's more to it than that. And, you know, uh, i I like to think and I I stole this from somewhere else, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, people talk a lot about Marvel Cosmic. Um, The supernatural side of DC is kind of DC's parallel to that and like it's a very robust kind of um, aspect of the universe and it doesn't it's not all um, just really bleak John Constantine stuff it's stuff like this and, and I'm glad to have it back
0: well said Zach what do you think about this issue I dug
3: this a lot I like this issue way more than the second one um not only just because um eaglesham and sin are back um which like nothing against um uh Santucci, but like they just have such a more, more like clearly divine defined um artistic style for this book yeah. um like those those first few pages are are just. Wonderful, and then those sin pages. Like if if we just get like a couple of sin pages per issue, if they use use her and, and for these kind of like flashbacks or side things, like I I would just love that. I feel like this is such a refreshing style for you like mainstream superhero comics, like U.S. superhero comics. Um, but like I also really enjoyed um some of the like world building and plot stuff here um like at at first i was a little put off by the seven realms thing um but i think the way that they're setting it up here makes it really interesting like the world that we've seen so far are really interesting um quick side note i'm just like flipping through this did you see in the um the game lands there's like a warner brothers logo on one of the buildings oh really yeah it's like the the oh, yeah. the, the big like the game splash page yeah. yeah that's pretty funny um the but i like get
1: stuck in the bugs of arkham knight
3: yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> he's too good yeah. he's better than all of I us <laughs> um I'm never gonna release this episode <laughs> um Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, I I liked the the implication that eventually there will be like a seventh Shazam family member. Right. Um, lucky, one one <laughs> for each realm. Yeah. Um, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> screw you. <laughs> um,
0: All the callbacks.
3: Yeah, no, I I like this. I liked this quite a bit. Vincy?
2: Um, I echo everything you guys say. All I want to add is that uh, uh, King Kid looks like a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure character, and <laughs> yeah. that's all. Oh I
1: man, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> it really does, especially especially in that like uh, the page after the double page spread. He's like kind of doing the Iraqi kind of like pout. Oh, thing. absolutely. Yes. Yep. That that
2: makes two episodes in a row making a JoJo's reference, by the way. <laughs> two episodes in a row. When did
3: amazing. when did Johns cut when did John's like start loving manga? I don't
2: know. I thought I thought uh, Snyder was all over that with the My Hero Academia stuff.
3: You're right, he is.
2: Maybe maybe Johns is getting really into Jojo's.
3: What if that's what Killing Zone is? <laughs>
0: Yes. I want that. <laughs> Vince just sent us some more stretchy pizza.
2: Is it? Pizza's good.
0: Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think this was an improvement over the second issue. And uh, although I, I still think that this arc may wind up taking a little bit too long to get us where we needed to go, like Walt said, I think that that's, that's all hypothetical fear at this point. And not any actual fear. Uh, so far, especially this issue, has been so much fun. And uh, yeah, you know what I also love is like the—I know it seems like it's just a little bit of me fanboying over the Darla's last name being Dudley, but like the first issue gave us Hoppy, which is a crazy Shazam character that I never thought we'd see in a reboot, and now this teases Dudley, and I feel like this just shows that mm-hmm. Johns has a really good handle on bringing the entirety of the uh of the captain marvel family into this book and not just picking and choosing the sort of easier to adapt parts of it i'm glad that we're getting the things that make the faucet captain marvel stuff so interesting i'm glad we're getting all of that here
1: yeah
3: all the things that go to make Heaven and Earth <laughs> S are here.
0: Nice, nice new pornographer's reference, my friend.
2: You did it, Zach. Well See, you, recla- you
1: reclaimed your spot. Uh,
0: the, the Walt and Zach show, and Vince and I are going to go fuck off. <laughs>
1: you guys can be like the Statler and Waldorf.
0: <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that brings us to Walt's favorite issue of the week Sideways, number 13, written by Dan Didio. Of course. And uh, illustrated <laughs> by Kenneth Rockefeller. Love that side, please. <laughs> nuts. <Fuck-a-nots>. odds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see? you gotta mute I can't think too much about it or else it just becomes Bernie. That was good. It's one word. I got it out there. I'm done with that for now. <clears throat> um, so, Walt, before we start this, I want to I see what you know about Sideways. Because when I assigned this to you, you said you knew nothing about it. So I want to see what you glean from this issue that you can tell us about Sideways as a character.
1: Okay. He's a murderer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he
3: he he's not going to kill him, but he kill her, but I'm he doesn't have to save her.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, what else?
1: Oh boy, that's about it. Um,
0: what do you <laughs> think his powers are?
1: So it I guess he's like shifting beh- between dimensions or something like that. There's something with the dark universe, of course. At the beginning, the
0: dark multiverse.
1: Please. Multiverse, whatever. I I got
3: it. The word the, the dark world.
1: The dark world. Um, uh, this is my opportunity to point out that I thought Metal was like extremely overrated and just not very good.
2: <laughs> um,
1: Scott
2: Snyder is a personal friend, so
1: I love Scott. Great guy, but I wasn't a big fan. I'm I'm guessing he, like, jumps between dimensions momentarily or something. Essentially.
0: He creates a rift between moments in this world, and he does so by, like, passing through... They never really kind of say where he's passing through, but passing through some sort of dimensional boundary.
1: Yeah, yeah. I figured it was something like that. Like, maybe good old pocket universes that DC loves. Um, So I got that. There's something with his adopted mom, and he met his real mom.
0: Is his birth mother? I, I wouldn't call one more real. Oh mother.
1: yeah, yeah. I guess. Sorry, sorry. That wasn't. That is, that is not the right way to refer to that. My apologies. I'll, I'll, take,
2: this, I'll take the the light off of you by saying she's a dime. <laughs>
1: so, she, now, she, she, now it's she's, on me. She's a Rockefeller character, so <laughs> um, And I guess up until now, he's been dealing with the mystery of the death of his adopted mother, who, from the thing with the statue, maybe she had some power herself. That's about all I've got. I mean that and, and she's and she's still alive
0: maybe well, she, she at least can text yeah in in a, um,
2: in a in a end of series uh plot twist that will never be resolved of yeah. course not
0: yeah so um well we, we have to th- maybe in action comics 2000 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, say, you know how like every couple of years there's a there's a comic that has like the entire dc universe in the same place for some reason Oh yeah! So in Action Comics number one thousand, there was this scene where there was where there were all these characters in one place, and it was all the characters you expect: Batman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Wonder Woman, and Sideways was there. And so we were saying that this was the one character that was going to stick around because he was at Superman Day, and then we felt that was like <laughs> DC's commitment to him. Um, but it turns out that is not the case; he's going to be gone. Right,
1: but you, but you see that with all the Whenever there's those, like, as you said, the X amount of years, a scene where everybody appears, there's always, like, the couple of characters when you're, like, going back and reading something like Crisis on Infinite Earths or something like that. It's like, I recognize all these people, except for these two people in the back. Right, yeah. um, Why was Bloodwind you know,
0: on the Justice League of America when <laughs> they
1: died? Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's what it's going to be like with Sideways. Yeah. Two decades from now, someone's going to be reading that and they're going to be like, who the hell is this?
0: <laughs> Who's this? Not Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, um, but
2: Tempest Fuganaut is uh, going to be a, a lifelong favorite. Yep. That's that. That's that big yellow uh, creature in the beginning of the, the comic Walt. Okay. And every I mean, time, every time Zach says the the name uh, Tempest
1: Fuganaut, it makes me lose my shit. <laughs> <laughs> for for me, I the design like because so Rockerford's pretty similar. Not, not exactly the same by any means um but there there's some similarities between him and uh, Jerome Opeña. so he just made me think of the uh exnihilo or whatever yes. from yep. mm-hmm. M- mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. that that's exactly what I thought of when I first saw him mm-hmm. Good both, call. both both in terms of the character design and um the artistic similarities between rockeffort and uh Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: so like. One of the things that Sideways had going for it when it started was it was probably the most fun of the New Age of Heroes books, and it took itself the least seriously, and it had the most, I would say, consistent artwork, because Rockaforte was on the majority of these issues, right, or at least at least half of them. Yes, and I feel like that is so. Walt, again, to fill you in, the New Age of Heroes was supposed to be an artist-driven line.
1: Right, I do vaguely remember and that.
0: If you notice like, on the on the credits here, it'll say it lists Rockefort ahead of Didio. Uh,
1: right. And 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 Didio, I mean, I know that that was as you said that's the conceit of the new age of heroes in general, but it does seem that Didio has been doing that a lot. I mean, I say been doing that. I'm thinking O-Mac. back to the new 52, yeah. which yeah, Omac, you know, it, it just it seems like something that he's comfortable with. Yes, absolutely. Um
0: um, but but you know also like Jim Lee was announced as the artist on the Immortal Men and didn't even do one full issue of that book. Oh, of course. Uh, and so there have been so many artistic changes, and it's it's been for the most part, you get you start the book, you get off the book, and you never come back. Rockaforte, I think, is the only guy to come back after departing the first time. Um, but and my big disappointment with this issue is, I feel like while this book has been relatively lighthearted and relatively fun this issue tries so hard to wrap up all the serious notes of it that you wind up without a lot of that fun
1: yeah i w- i would not have guessed that this was like supposed to be a fun book um at all for those listeners who haven't caught on yet this is the only issue this last one is the only one i have read <laughs> um but yeah i I see nothing of that in this issue. I, you know, it's, it's not like extremely dark, but it's got some dark moments and there, there's like no moments of levity in this one.
0: Did I accurately characterize the first couple of issues boys? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.
1: Sure.
3: It's been a while since I've read an issue of this as well. Like I, I didn't recognize this hooded character. I don't know if we have seen them before. I didn't know if I was supposed to think that that is his mom or a version of his mom. Um, but I do like Rockford's art for what it's worth. So, oh yeah,
0: yeah, and, and I think that he and Dio have done as good a job as anybody, and I'll include Jeff Lemire in the uh, in the terrifics. I think that these two have done as good a job as anybody in the New Age of Heroes, if not better, at creating a world that feels both a piece with the dc universe but also adding something really new to it i think the first few issues of this book felt legitimately fresh and even though there were parts of it that i I wasn't a huge fan of it felt like it was establishing something that could be built upon in the future and uh you know for that reason i'm really upset this is not really It's overstating it I'm upset this is heartbroken re- yes I am suicidal over the fact that this is, uh, that this book <laughs> is going away while well the infinitely less interesting the silencer is sticking around yeah Vince
2: yeah that's <laughs> that, that, that's sideways everyone. <laughs>
0: Uh um so we, we we tend to do this whenever one of these books ends. When, if any time, is the next time we see sideways in a DC universe comic? He's
3: gonna be in young justice.
0: I mean that was that was hinted at in the issue.
3: It was, and I think it's I think it's gonna happen.
0: Do you think he'll be on the team for like an issue or two? Or do you think we're going to see a full arc or more of him on the team? I
3: don't really know. I really don't know if he'll be on there. I like to think that he could be.
2: The next time we see him, it's going to be in one of these non-Walmart exclusive DC Comics Giants that's coming out.
0: Is it going to be a reprint of the first issue? Or is it going to be No, no, I
2: No, the next time we see a new story, yes.
0: Okay. I'm going to say that the next time we see him... Is when they inevitably do Blackest Night two, and we'll see him killed <laughs> and come back as a zombie.
1: How has that yeah. not happened already? By the way,
0: because Lucy <laughs> isn't that desperate yet.
1: To Blackest Night. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, yes. It'll be him killing his mom,
0: right? Well, yes, and then being killed by a black hand or something.
1: Let's just say Mo. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um all right, so before we get to we have we have two little micros to talk about. Um before we get to that, well we do our lists. This week there is nothing on the good list. Not a book. The okay list Except for heroes in crisis. Well yeah. Okay. <laughs> we don't count the books that we have that we are discussing on those lists. These are uh of, of the of the undiscussed titles. We have no books on the good list. The OK list features Batgirl, Freedom Fighters, Old Lady Harley, The Terrifics, and Wonder Woman. The Bad list features Justice League Odyssey. Uh, the New Age of Heroes list features a silencer. The Sandman Universe <laughs> list features books of magic. The Vertigo list features Hexwives, And the Jurgens <laughs> list features Batman Beyond.
2: <laughs> the
0: Vertigo list is, I, is my new I, list, which is books that are good, that because i have to cram the rest of these books i tend to forget about and then read like in big chunks later
2: let me just say i hope that everyone listening understands that like our list segment is completely arbitrary yeah. <laughs> not completely but like you know very clearly some of it is a joke yes
0: yes and we really don't think
3: too much about the list. what on the very serious dc3 cast <laughs>
0: Like, we take, like, two minutes to think of these lists. We don't really debate the lists all that much. Like, there, there's oftentimes one of us say, like, well, if you guys feel that way about the book, then I'm fine putting that there. So yeah. don't be too concerned about our lists. But um, we do want to talk quickly, and I, I'm I'm really interested to get Walt's take on these books, having not read them. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about Action Comics number 1008, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Steve Epting. <laughs> And uh, the thing I want to talk about from this issue... First of all, I thought this was a good issue. Um, this book continues to be pretty great. And uh, But I want to talk about the seven crises. So this has come up a couple of times now. Was this last mentioned in Young Justice?
3: Yes. Yeah, it's the name of the first... Either the, the first issue
0: or, like, this arc. The first arc. Um,
2: I believe it's the arc, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. And so what are these seven crises zach
3: well we have the infinite earth's crisis um hold on let me get it pulled back up again i remember that there's the the crisis of in time
2: which is um, zero hour right
3: which is which is zero hour yeah then we have uh the i believe it just calls it the infinite crisis correct yeah yeah and then the final question mark crisis um so then we've got yeah the the flashpoint crisis the uh best crisis the convergence <laughs> crisis and then the worst crisis the dark multiverse crisis just kidding um i only ever kid don't believe anything i ever say um so yeah there are there are crises identity crisis the true worst
0: crisis is not on there
1: technically not a crisis the sky did not turn red
0: you're right ah uh-huh. I have been waiting for, in one of the Heroes of Crisis simulations, this guy had to turn red within the simulation so that King can count it as a crisis.
1: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Okay, so now we need to do, not today, but we need to do our patented uh, top 10 DC Comics books.
0: But with these seven crises. So we rank our personal favorite crises. Mm-hmm. I'm game. It's going to be hard when Just all of to us kind put th- throw that number one. But, you know.
3: <laughs> um, well, I other... don't want to spoil my list, but...
1: From the other CIA guy who did not take off, like, <laughs> Tom King. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, that was a here.
1: Oh, well... Is TV? I thought he was CIA as well. TV, CIA.
0: He's a king. He's a king. (laughs) He's Jeff King.
1: Okay. Okay. He's definitely a king. (laughs) Yeah, but you watch TV.
2: It's all all, uh, CIA. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's all all a psyop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to say you brother I I never wanted.
1: uh, You and I need to like take our followers list on Twitter and then like randomly. Take all the ones all the mutual follows and then like split split up custody of them because
2: <laughs>
1: the we're like, follows
0: you mean Yeah,
1: we're, we're like mind melting too much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to no, no, do a quick uh, um, bit here about how much I love Steve Epting's clearly also middle-aged Superman. Like just <laughs> he looks much more mature than what we've seen lately and I love it. Did you guys enjoy this issue? Oh, I loved it. This was
3: ah, this, there were so many good issues this week, but this was easy. This is in my top three. It it could have been my favorite issue, maybe I don't know. Bendis is just a force to be reckoned with, which is a crazy thing to say in 2019.
2: Yeah, I agree. All the all the stuff that happened when Lois came back to the Daily Planet, I, I feel like a similar scene in a Bendis Marvel book would have annoyed me greatly. And yet somehow every little moment was uh just like perfectly calibrated. Like nothing was really overwritten or overdone. There was lots of understated reaction to her coming back. Uh the the Jimmy Olsen hiding under the desk stuff was really fun. Um yeah, man the Sam Lane just sucking on uh a flask, like basically <laughs> through that entire uh secret meeting with Amanda Waller. Mm-hmm. So much about this that's so good.
0: Yeah. This is a good comic. And real quickly, because Zach has a uh a date he's gotta get to. We're talking about the Flash <laughs> The Flash number sixty five, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Rafa Sandoval. Uh, this is the finale of, of the price, which um, continues to be probably too long. <laughs> but I thought this was by far the best issue of this little mini crossover. What do you guys think?
3: Yeah. So, I kind of do. I kind of wish we had a little bit more time to talk about this issue because it ended up really not being at all about Gotham Girl. And being all about, again, how Batman
0: sucks. Um, <laughs> although he does pull, which out is the, a good theme. the sickest burn in comics history against against uh, Barry here. Which? What was that? What oh, was that? I didn't forget <laughs> I didn't one of my <laughs> one of my like, words existed or whatever he says. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: I I just would have uh, wanted to ask Bruce if he remembers who Stephanie Brown is then.
0: Well he knows who she is. He doesn't remember her being Robin.
2: <laughs> I'm that was a joke. Thank you for
0: Well, get your fucking jokes better, what can I say? <laughs> <You're shopping laughs> little more. Um But no, this was um I think this issue was was really good. Vince, what did you think?
2: I really yes. I thought it was a great end to a to a lackluster event. Um but the 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 story bit that I really enjoyed that I really relished was Iris leaving Barry at the end of the issue for sort of the inverse reason that Selena left Bruce. You know what I mean, like Selena left Bruce because she knew that or she thought that if bruce if she stayed with Bruce and Bruce stayed with her he would stop being Batman, right? Mm-hmm. You can argue whether that's a good reason or not, but but that that was the story reason. Iris leaves Barry because she realizes he will never stop being the Flash. And I think, again, whether you agree with that or not, or like that turn of events or not, that's such a interesting inverse sort of thematic element to, again, compare and contrast the Batman and the Flash runs, which have both kind of been the landmark runs of Rebirth, for better and worse, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. What do you guys think of the little tease at the end for that future event? I don't Uh, know.
2: Bruce Wayne is Ozymandias. This is what I think. Not literally, but, like, that's totally what that... He's sitting in front of a bunch of monitors.
0: I have to say Rafa Sandoval, Superman on that last page is dope.
3: Oh yes. Sandoval killed it in this issue. He's getting better and better.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's quickly look ahead to next week. We've got um, adventures of the super sons. We've got Batman. Seeing so Tom King back on Batman. Unfortunately, uh, the final issue, I believe, of The Curse of Brimstone. Another New Age of Heroes classic. Uh, Deathstroke. Doomsday Clock. Female Furies number two. The final issue of Green Arrow. The Green Lantern number five. Harley Quinn 59. Justice League 19. Uh, Suicide Squad Black Files. Zach's favorite book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Young Justice. Uh,
3: it's not drawn by
1: Ramita, so... That's true. <laughs>
0: That's true. Um, Walt, thanks for coming on the show, man. Of course. Uh, where can folks find you on the internet?
1: You can find me on the Multiversity Manga Club podcast, for one. For those of you who like manga, and those of you who don't. Sometimes we don't like it either, as Zach can attest, my fellow co-host. Mm-hmm. Um, or on Twitter. Or
3: is always good.
1: Yes, naturally. Naturally. <laughs> um on twitter at goodbye to a shoe
0: and uh if you want to converse with two of the three co-hosts we are also on twitter i am at brian is an app and i'm at woker fox but don't talk to me i
3: just remembered i have to go write a boroto review <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: if you need to get in touch with vince you can do so in a variety of ways but the way that i would no no
2: no no what, nope. what? do <laughs> his wife I won't be found. You won't be found? Email my wife? Is that what you said?
0: <laughs> I woke up with a better one than that. So we're going to leave it there. Thanks, Walt. This is your first, but hopefully not your last, appearance of the DC3 cast. We are not worthy. I'll,
1: I'll come back if you don't make me read Tom King again.
0: You <laughs> can uh, come back for Doomsday
2: Clock
1: next week. Jesus, no.
2: <laughs> Good night, folks. Good
1: night. Not recording now, but
0: oh, I'm recording now he doesn't know this is this is the stinger exactly. <laughs>